Welcome to the Apple of Truth, our weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while celebrating the great parts, pointing out the bad parts, and answering questions you never even knew you had. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And we can't wait to share our love and hate for your favorite characters. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 1, Really Sad Devil Guy. And this episode is about one case being worked on Earth and in Hell, with some hilarious cross-references plus some side plots that give us as a viewer insight into where all of our characters are at this moment in time. But all this pales compared to the twist at the very end. Dun dun dun! <laughs> oh god, this is gonna be great. And hilariously enough, they got me again. Oh, did they? Yes. For a few seconds, I thought it was Lucifer. For the first time, so... In forever? When I watched it the first time and when I watched it the second time, both time, the second he starts talking, I know. They got me for a few seconds, again, even though I already knew, but I enjoyed it very, very much. As many other issues as I had with this episode, all in all, I had a lot of fun with this. Hands down, this is a brilliant twist anyway. Speaking of brilliant things, obsession of the week. My mind was not very brilliant on that. Very curious what you chose. I have originally written down Chloe. Then we have a match. I did not stick with it because I ended up swapping it to responsibility. Shame, shame, shame. So you did what we call in Germany Verschlimmbessern. You made it worse by fixing it. How dare you? I didn't make it worse. I made it better. Because responsibility is indeed his obsession. Because he thinks that he's being responsible by staying in hell. So he's so obsessed with it that he completely ignores how wrong it actually is. I'm not going to argue with you because your initial fault was the same as my final thought and thus it's right and so <laughs> that is all the confirmation I need. We could actually say that this is a win because my initial thought was identical to your. No. Well th this is your funeral. We'll see how it goes so the obsession count is at zero out of one. Mm, how sad. Time now for the facts and funds. We have seventh time director Eagle Eagleson. Hey. Sadly, this is his final time. No uh. more episodes directed by this wonderfully named Icelandic man. I feel like he is doing better and better with each episode that he directs. So I, for one, will miss him. I will miss him very much and I will miss saying and probably mispronouncing his name. We have 11th time writer Jason Ning. Previous credit was Super Bad Boyfriend. Only one more coming. Uh, see, you say that, but we don't have that many episodes to go through anymore. Hush, don't say that. Hush, hush. It's not real. And finally, for our standards, facts and funds, the title, of course, is said by no other than Lee Garner, a.k.a. Mr. Set Out Bitch. That is Lena's favorite character, right? Yes, yes, we all agree on that. Very good. No, I don't hear any complaints. Very good. Now it is canon. I actually didn't hate him as much this time around as I did last. There you go. You're warming up to him. Speaking of Lee Garner, or rather Mr. Set Out Bitch, Lee Garner is named after comic book artist Lee Garbett. Garbett is the artist on the Skyward graphic novel series, which is written by Lucifer co-showrunner Joe Henderson. He is also a co-writer with Henderson on the planned Skyward movie. Ooh, fun. Then we have a very IMDb fact. 
As Lucifer was subject to censoring while on network TV, obscenities were used extremely rarely. Since moving to Netflix, the show has been given greater leeway in this area, but usage is still infrequent compared to Netflix's other series. Joe Henderson has given several interviews where he explained they do have permission to be more explicit, but deliberately decided on a course where stronger language is authentically earned by the storylines. The writers added an extra use in this episode by having Ella quickly swear in Spanish by saying no mas of that mierda no more of that shit still earned given the context and i say it's a very imdb fact because the wording is just very obviously not from me yes yeah it's a very imdb fact also i am glad that joe has said that because this is what i have been pointing out in season four already you know it's good to know that it's somehow found it somewhere that i read it somewhere but also you can definitely get that from the show that it's really wanting to be authentic by keeping it it needs to be earned and as a final fact it's not so fun because Scarlett Estevez is now credited as a guest star rather than a series regular as she was for the previous four seasons which sucks sad 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 well I think there is time now for a previously on Lucifer for the first time in season five what happened in season four Maze and Eve became close, but Eve decides to leave to find herself. Baby Charlie is born and is a half angel. Ames sees some bad shit on Earth. Dan decides to work on himself and overcome his guilt and anger. Ella's got her faith back, but is still struggling with herself. Demons attack Earth and Lucy has to go back to hell to keep them in check, but not before he and Chloe proclaim love to each other and finally kiss. They kissed before though, right? Yes, they did, but that didn't really, you know, they finally kissed because they've been fucking leading up to that for the last two seasons. It's been two seasons since their kiss, I think. they. It felt like forever. Season three is very, 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 very long. It felt like the first time in forever. So anyway, that is season four for you, summoned in 30 seconds. And our episode, of course, starts us right away. And you can imagine the joy, the excitement in my heart when we see... Mr. Set Out Bitch. Lena's favorite character. <sighs> it's canon. It's canon. Well, we see a yacht come in first and song starts playing, which is called Shake That Bottle by Dioro and Hector Mas. So uh, I have to admit that it took me way too long to realize that this was Mr. Set Out Bitch, even though when we did the first watch and we did the special, I did not recognize him at all. And Lena has beaten me over the head with the fact that this was Mr. Settle Bitch. So I should have known. I should have seen this coming. And yet... And you knew that he is in every season opener. We talked about it. Don't kill me. It takes me forever, okay? Anyway, this is hell, it seems. Because Lucifer shows up sitting at the bar. And do you remember last season when we had our subtitle disagreement with Cassiel and Castiel? Yes. I am willing to believe that the Amazon subtitles are utter bullshit because they made Mr. Said Out Bitch into Set Out Bitch. Spell it for me. S-E-T instead of S-A-I-D. Oh, as he was set out to be a bitch. Yes. So I'm willing to believe that the Amazon subtitles with Cassiel were wrong and that it was actually a reference with the Castiel. Mm-hmm. Thank you for agreeing that I was correct. You mean that Netflix was correct. 
So Lucifer sits at the bar and Lee takes quite a while to catch on what is happening. And it's so beautiful because he goes like, what the hell? Precisely. And that was the moment where I got over me being annoyed that this was Mr. Set Out Bitch. Because this conversation between him and Lucifer was comedy gold, I want to say. It was brilliant. But I'm going to reining back to this moment because this is the first time that I've noticed it. And then somehow I just managed to come back to this a few times over this episode. This is the first thing that gets a little weird and grating to me. I don't understand why this is his hell loop. It doesn't feel like torture because he is having the best time of his life and then he just gets shot. Why is his death scene his hell loop? when he doesn't really feel guilty about it and he doesn't know it's coming. You know, it just doesn't feel like a torture to me. Maybe because he feels at the top of the world and then having someone pull a gun on you and shooting you is like the... I thought it was finally winning and now it's all done or something. I don't know. You make a great point because it would make more sense if it was a different moment in his life. But then, of course, we wouldn't have a case. So I think that I love the way they shoot this episode, the parallels and everything. I love that. But they have sacrificed some things in order to make this happen and that repeatedly kicks me out of enjoyment of these beautiful parallels. It's hard to suspend the disbelief, especially since it is made, again, explicitly clear that all of this is influenced by yourself and your guilt. But there's also something relating to the whole guilt thing later on that I want to talk about, so we'll see how it goes. But I'm completely with you, it makes very little sense. Then there is a second thing that is very weird to me and it gets pointed out here. Lucifer mentions that the time runs differently in hell and that Lee has died over 200 times already. However, on Earth, the murder has just happened because Chloe and Maze and everybody is are at the crime scene right now. So this makes me to believe that this entire hell story that is about to unfold in front of us in this episode would have happened within the time that the Earth story is, you know, the girls are still at the crime scene and having a conversation. It can't be synchronized because the time passing is so different. Yes, and it's not just different, it's significantly different. And it's not like Lucifer has the power to actually slow down the time in hell, because otherwise why wouldn't he do that in order not to feel so alone for such a long time, you know? So there are a little bits and pieces that I want to mention them now because I keep coming back to them in my notes so I'm gonna try to avoid them so we don't have to talk about this over and over and over again. So we're not stuck in our very own hell loop. Exactly. Exactly. That's a beautiful allegory. Thank you. I know. No, but I'm fully in agreement with you. It makes rationally no sense but also we just came out of season four where so much was timey-wimey wibbly-wobbly that I feel like I have gotten so used to them playing Shen and against with the timeline, I don't mind as much anymore. But we've spent quite some time on scene one now. Yes, we are just cutting the time so we don't have to worry about these issues ever again in this episode. And now we have this perfect transition into the crime scene. And this happens throughout this episode. The transitioning between Hell Loop and Crime Scene or Hell Loop and Precinct are so fucking well done. It is so much fun to watch this. And this is why I'm willing to forgive a lot of the loopholes or logic errors or... Loopholes in the loop? Or plot holes or anything. It was really, really beautiful done. 
and the crime scene made me very happy with Ella being there and Chloe talking and then the camera panning over and Mace is the fucking new Lucifer. Yeah, we get a lot of exposition in this scene to kind of figure out what has happened while we were around for the last two months and I love it. I love that Mace is, that she's the new Lucifer. I love that they are both coping with their loss of a loved one. I love that it feels like Mace is taking care of Chloe and making sure that Chloe is okay. But I also love that Ella is being Ella. What I don't love is the fact that nobody listens to Ella, ever. It was a bit grating that Ella, as typical Ella, does not know how to read a room and does not catch on to Chloe's discomfort. Because as chaotic as Ella sometimes tends to be, she's also very empathic. So her taking this long to realize that what she's complaining about is much worse for Chloe. It just felt a bit wrong to me, you know? That's fair, but also I am of the opinion that she is on the outside complaining about this thing, but what she is really complaining about is that nobody actually ever pays attention to her. And she doesn't do it consciously, but, you know, she's redirecting her upset, let's call it, in order to be heard. I think you're projecting because I think we are more upset about nobody listening to Ella than Ella is upset about this. Uh, Maybe right now. And you're not wrong. Cool. I'm glad that we can project together. At the end of the scene, Chloe and Mace talk about their other work. Mace and Chloe look at each other and Chloe's like, oh yeah, we have some other things to do, other work or whatever she says exactly. And we cut over to Lux where we have a song called With Me by Uplink and Reese Lemonius. And it's a bit sad for me to watch this because you can see how Chloe is working extra hard to distract herself from the fact that Lucifer is not there and Mace, the queen of denial and everything around it, she's obviously there with her to help her through it, but also to deal with her own. You mean they're both not dealing? Yes, but like this is all about Chloe, obviously, you know, because Mace doesn't have any problems. What are you talking about? Okay. When we go into Lux, I instantly had a question in my brain. Okay, who's running Lux now since Lucifer is gone? So he can't even remotely run it anymore. And it even gets answered because Ames shows up and apparently Ames is running Lux now. So I'm also very happy that I got an immediate answer. Well, Emmanuel shows up, yes, and pickup lines are horrible. And luckily he shows up to save them. Save them. Well, they don't As if they needed him. But, you know, he shows up with a distraction and they have a quick chat. He's wearing like a really fancy suit so it seems like he's really taking running Lux seriously. He looks great. And then he notices a drug deal happening. And I'm like, what? what's up, Ames? What, what's happening? Are you trying to save up for Charlie's college? Or like, what? why are you doing this? So yeah, he approaches the dude. And it's all set up in a way, oh, I'm really into this. Or like, I'm going to shut you down unless I take a cut. And I just don't believe him. We have another beautiful transition where Chloe drinks out of a whiskey glass and as she puts it down, camera kind of goes into a detail and it turns into a lump on the hell yacht, is what I called it. <laughs> Wonderful. And I do wonder, why did Lucifer check in 
on Lee in the first place? Does he check in with everyone and explains to them the concept of hell? Is that like his job as a ruler of hell? I don't think so. I think it was just a uh, way of a nostalgic type of a thing where he is like, oh, I knew him in the good times. So I'm going to go visit him in order to feel closer to Chloe. Mm. Hey, I'm not satisfied. That's what she said. I mean, it's COVID. Who is satisfied these days? Yeah, so we've got this whole situation. This would be just me looping around. Why is this a torture place for him? And Lucifer once again explains that time in hell moves much differently from Earth and that he has been down here much, much longer. And I do wonder how much longer exactly. And they talk and Lee is like, no, dude, you can't go. Like, I'm gonna get shot. And And then Lucifer is like, you know what? Just for old time's sake, I'm gonna solve your murder. And he looks so happy. Yes. And if our obsession of the week wasn't just Lucifer, but in general, for the entire episode I would have gone with purpose because everyone in this episode is looking for a purpose this was very very beautiful to me and this is also the moment where of course we get our title card and unlike season 4 where this was a rare occurrence season 5 starts us right back to our old good tradition that we stay in the scene because we stay in hell and apparently Lucifer can freeze or control time or movement or something in hell. He can control the illusions any way he wants and that is a nice power. That is indeed a nice power. The thing is he can't control time but he can control everything in hell so if he chose to he could freeze the entire hell in time but the time would still move very slowly for him so his control is three-dimensional not not four-dimensional yes he controls everything except for the time which is like the worst type of hell for him probably also it was very cute that he knew the demon by name right away of course I mean, he seems to be a very good employer. Know all your people. He's a good ruler. You know, he walks amongst his people slash demons. <laughs> he says, this is about you and your eternal pain. In which I was like, yeah, projecting much, Lucifer? Oh, yeah. This marks the moment where the projection becomes so, so, so explicit and over the top. And I remember in season four, I was like, oh, this is the most explicit they have been with self-inserting into the case. And everyone's like, wow. Okay, this is worse. Well, when they do it, and they pointing out on the show it is obvious obvious but it's funny because they are accepting that they're doing it in this case they are not really they're kind of circling around it until the very end yeah and Lee is the one to point it out Lee is really earning his keep this episode I have to say it's really sad watching Lucifer in the state of mind that he is currently because he seems to have given up oh yeah he's completely resigned it's very very painful but we don't stay long down and hell instead we go into the precinct and chloe coming to work this hungover and then wearing her sunglasses while talking to a spouse or relative of a murder victim seems so out of character and because she's acting so out of character i also want to comment on she looks different she looks different she behaves different she talks different she does things she never do before so lucifer's leaving and the reason behind his leaving and all her experiences and the absence of Lucifer are all affecting her so, so much. And I remember when I watched this first, I was completely confused by 
this immense change that they did to her character. And now it makes perfect sense because obviously she is being affected on so many deep relevant levels that of course it's going to have an effect on her outer appearance, her mannerisms, her speaking, her behaviors, everything. But what it did not influence is her superpowers as a cup. Thankfully. Because we have a quick conversation with Meg, the sister, who seems to be like, "Eh, yeah, we didn't keep in touch. He was in trouble all the time. So, you know, just kind of running through this classic discussion with a relative. And then Mace smacks a guy against a window and screams, I got a lead. And obviously, Chloe follows her into the interrogation room. And it's just so brilliant. Like, their entire dynamic between Chloe and Mace is brilliant throughout this whole thing. They start talking to the guy, and then they realize they have to infiltrate the poker game. When they're talking to the criminal, so many bad names are being dropped about criminals. And I sadly didn't write down a single one of them. But it made me think back to the nudist episode with Bob the Knob and the pool boy and everything. I was like, why are all these criminal names so bad? Because they're bad people, Lena. They have to have bad names. I get it. But then, of course, you're completely right. They start talking to each other about how they can get an invite. And they don't even have to use complete sentences to understand the other. I want to hear that full-on conversation so badly because I want to know what Maze would have done if... Chloe weren't there to tell her no way in hell you're gonna do this I want to know what all these suggestions were but they they don't need to say it they have been spending every waking minute together for the last two months and it shows maybe not just every waking minute maybe not just every waking minute but then uh, the dirtbag that's sitting there says something and it's just so weird to me he goes oh yeah but it's so exclusive there's no way you're gonna be able to get an invitation and I'm like but how did he get in if it's so exclusive he doesn't seem like a type of a person who would be like a high posh high society type of a person he just knows someone who knows someone I mean that was just the entire thing that I paid attention in this scene was the conversation that they didn't actually have but they actually did have it it was just brilliant it was great and now we go to Linda's Mm-hmm. and this is a moment where I start realizing that Every single character in this episode is somehow off. Everybody is dealing with some shit. And question is how much are they influenced by the fact that Lucifer is not around. But that is very much the biggest factor that we can see. So for some reason, Linda is seems to be completely out of it about Charlie. Which is not surprising. She probably hasn't slept in two months, so... No, also, she's being a complete helicopter mom so this tracks in her behavior and i hate it i honestly hate it because it makes no sense to me that linda is this hyper focused and helicoptery with her child i think that she had the tendencies when they got back but then charlie got abducted and nearly killed and then there was also the threat of Ames taking him to heaven so it just feels like she is so wrapped up in the fact that she needs to take care of Charlie that she is completely ignoring everything that is going on around her especially with Ella right now in this scene because it's so unlike Linda to not notice that Ella is struggling it's so unlike her yeah which is why I hate all of this I mean I already don't care about 
about the Charlie storyline in general, but I hate the way Linda is behaving. I hate her single-minded focus. But at least we get confirmation that Lucifer has been gone for two months because Charlie is two months old. Thus, Lucifer has been gone for two months. But apart from the fact that we get the exact confirmation how for how long Lucifer has been gone, this scene made me even more angry because Ella apparently now has a boyfriend crisis after she just gotten over her faith crisis. And it makes absolutely zero sense. And I don't understand where this is coming from. And it annoys the hell out of me. Have we heard about Ella's love life before? Because I am not aware that her picking bad boys was ever a thing. I think it was in passing that she had like some darker boyfriends when she was bad like she has a bad past with the grandma and everything but nothing explicit nothing oh I can't get a good guy because I'm so into bad boys or something and it just feels like okay guys we just got over the faith crisis that is completely unresolved and instead of properly resolving the faith crisis we now just put another pseudo crisis on Ella this is my main issue with the episode understandably so to me it was just very confusing because it feels like they are introducing something that doesn't feel very organic it would have been different if Ella have had a run-in, if she even had a, a man in her life, any man in her life. The only person that she has become, let's say, intimate for the lack of a better word, was Dan. Yeah, and he's not a bad boy. I mean, he was in a bad boy stage, but that doesn't mean that he is a bad person, you know? So her, you are actually a good person that is currently struggling, makes sense. It's not, like, constructed by her brain where when you actually go for the bad boys, that you have this deep need to change and make everybody around you better. Yeah, but she just says that she has... Basically, she's a sucker for bad boys. So it made no sense and I hated it. It came out of nowhere, is the point. So this entire scene, for me, is the worst part of this episode because nothing good about it in there. Also, in this moment, I have wondered, is this purposefully done that literally not a single person actually listens to what Ella has to say about herself? Not about other things, but about herself. Because it feels like it's been done so much that it feels it must be intentional. We can head on into the precinct where there's something that I just mentioned in the Linda scene. Yet another proof that for some reason every single character in this episode seems to be so off. There is just something that they're trying to prove, it feels like. So uh, Aminadiel walks into the precinct being a hyperactive citizen, talking to Dan about drugs issues in Lux. And then Dan is like, well, you know, you can't do a citizen arrest for, sorry, civil arrest for jaywalking and littering. And Ames gets like really wound up. It's like, there was a sign and it was clearly forbidden. And Dan's like, but she was three years old. So it just shows us what state of mind Aminadil currently is at. But then it flips around and we see Dan's state of mind. So it's just like, what is happening? Why is everybody all over the place? Everyone is either looking for or focusing on something new to focus their attention on. It didn't strike me as as weird or off as it did you. The only thing that is different is that basically the connecting tissue that has been Lucifer is missing. So everyone is focusing on their stuff. Yeah, it just feels like everybody is really intensely throwing themselves into something very specific. And I don't know, it just felt like a really heightened version of 
a lot of the characters. What I even considered for a second is that since Lucifer's not there, are we actually looking at the real characters now as opposed to the filtering them through Lucifer's eyes? <laughs> the super fun theory that we've been having. That Lucifer is such an unreliable narrator that everything gets filtered through his perception and maybe now we finally see the people as they actually are. That is actually a fun headcanon, I have to say. And if and when he comes back to Earth, we're gonna have proof, in quotation marks, because if they keep behaving like this, then no. But if they then behave completely different, then yes. This is actually a potential poll for the episode. Are these the real people? I don't think that our listeners are very much into the idea of alternative points of view like that after the last poll that we did with Linda. <laughs> but we can try. But this time we both like the headcanon. Are you saying that you didn't like my headcanon? With Linda being a figment of his imagination in that scene, I hated it. What? You didn't say that. You said that you can see where I'm coming from. And that I disagree. Nah. That was my nice way. But it would have been part of this theory as well. But anyway, regardless of that, we can make this a poll and we don't have to fight about a poll from previous season. So when Amenadiel enters, he goes like, ooh, what's the smell? And the smell is Dan's workspace because he has now gotten into essential oils because he has hope. And I even forgot what the other smells were. He's all out of... Wasn't it success, the thing that Ames smelled when he could... Yeah, he smells success. He's all out of love, but he still has hope. I'm all out of love. And my reaction to this, to the essential oils and also to his wall of horrible things was, oh my Dan, you should just have kept going to therapy. Fun fact, when the fifth season renewal was announced, the Lucifer Writer's Twitter account asked fans for suggestions of common uplifting sayings. The more cliched, the better. Many of the suggestions appear as posters and handwritten note on Dan's motivational wall. So, Lucy fans, this is your fault. That's brilliant. God, I love this fucking show. You know, it's very rare to find show interacting so heavily with the fandom on the level of writers. And so positively also. Yes. While all of this is happening, of course, we learn more about Ames having his vigilante approach because he needs to make the world a better place. And it's so obvious that this is going to go bad. Duh. It's Ames. <laughs> of course. Everything Ames does is just nearly there, buddy. Nearly there. Not everything. Everything he does on his own. Let's put it that way. It's like, oh, you tried hard buddy here's a medal for you that's mean he always means well but he needs someone to keep him focused on the right things not going overboard not leaving the road basically so he's a good little engine he just needs a good driver but before we leave the precinct we go over to Maze and Chloe because obviously Maze managed to get an invitation with the card that she now hands over to Chloe and of course there's blood on the card left over cherry pie on the card i love it so much and chloe's like race is that blood and she just goes away it's so beautiful i love their dynamic with each other it's so good but speaking of poker we go to hell poker and as lucifer and lee are coming out of the lift no limits by royal deluxe starts playing what other title could it have been <laughs> just wait for the second song that comes in the cuts to the earth poker but this is a lot of cuts back and forth so i kind of 
try to not to divide it too much. Also, the song was great. I actually kind of hoped that this would be your pick for Devils of the Music. That was the backup there. But I actually like the next song better. And speaking of the next song, this is a very short scene. We kind of ended on the balcony where Lucifer gets Duck pointed out. And the next cut, we see Dirty Duck as he approaches originally to Lucifer and Lee. He is now approaching Mace and Chloe and we have a different time of day. So again, beautiful, brilliant. And we get a change of song that is by Bosco Rogers and it's called All Wet. Speaking of beautiful and awesome, you know what's not beautiful and awesome? Chloe trying to be undercover. What do you mean? She's so awkward. They're both very awkward while simultaneously are very, very good. I think it's fitting to the situation. I just think that after all these years, Chloe should have gotten better at undercover. Mace is not supposed to be able with subtleties, but Chloe is. And this is why I expect more competence when it comes to undercover from Chloe than from Mace. I actually think that what Chloe did with whomever she was playing undercover was absolutely spot on. Okay, we have to agree to disagree there. Speaking of agree to disagree, they didn't agree on who's actually going to play poker. And that was so fun. Again, extremely good dynamic between Chloe and Mace. It's just brilliant. They agree that Chloe is gonna play and I disagree. I think Mace, who is the better poker player, would be able to deliberately lose and win in the right order and amounts and everything. So I think Mace should have been the one playing. Again, let's agree to disagree because I think that Chloe, by being so blatantly unaware of what's happening, this is how I play poker. I know the basic rules but the whole poker phase and betting at the right times, it just so goes over my head that there is a very good chance that I would start with beginner's luck and everything and then it would be way more believable for me to lose everything because I would be just like, eh, what just happened? This worked before? Why doesn't it working now? It just felt more believable to me that... Chloe is going to be the one sitting down and actually playing. We cut very quickly back into the hell loop and we realize that Lucifer is just not good at this without Chloe. He is struggling in his role as a detective. And Lee is definitely enjoying his time away from the hell loop. I mean, who wouldn't? Though, as you've said in the beginning, his hell loop isn't all that bad. It's actually quite fun, seems like, until the point he gets dead. Yeah, but it's a quick one shot to the chest, so not exactly torture. Exactly. Yeah, but we've already talked about that. We go back to the poker game and now Chloe is winning, which sucks because she's supposed to lose. And she's very sad that she now has to lose. But Mace manages to convince her to bet high on her very, very bad cards. And she's just so like unwilling to do that it's just cute but she actually ends up doing that and they get approached at the bar by Dirty Doug you really didn't pay attention to the back and forth back and forth because when Chloe goes all in we cut back down to the hell loop and Lee goes with the all in and this is where it all turned around for me because he also went all in and this is where he lost it all yes 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 sorry (laughs) then we learn that he got a marker from Duck and with that information we 
we cut back upstairs and Doug approaches them to offer them a marker. So the back and forth cutting is done so fluid. It is really, really beautiful, but I painstakingly took down all the time codes or back and forth, back and forth, because some of these moments are 10 seconds. This is the thing. I was trying to keep my notes as organic as possible as I usually do. And it's just so painful to actually go through, oh, and this is another scene, and this is another scene. and this. It just ruins the fluidity of the entire thing. Watching this is great. Note-taking for this was very, very painful, but I really want to appreciate how perfect they matched the hell loop to the real life because it goes back and forth and back and forth and we have these beautiful movements back and forth. So it was worth the effort of going like, and then we have this and then we have that. It was beautiful if you disregard the timing issue. So Doug offers them the marker and explains that he's a reasonable man and inadvertently reveals that he is not the killer because he says bullet to the head but Lee didn't get shot in the head. Dun, dun, dun. There was a plot twist that I saw coming. And before we get to resolve this we have to cut back down very shortly because Lucifer misspeaks and he refers to Lee as detective. And that was so sad. This is where he really starts to dissolve, in my opinion. In the previous short moments, we see him really struggling and not really knowing how to do this without Chloe. But this is now where he gets angry, where he starts lashing out. And he does this amazing move with the hand, wiping away LA. This is not even Los Angeles! And he wipes it away and it all dissolves into this ash, more or less. And then we have hell as we know it left over. And I complained last season about their CGI with the devil stuff. This is beautiful. This is so well done and I was so happy. This is so, 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 so good. So good. But then we go back to the earth and we have a runner. Runner! Mace is so happy. Well, for one, why is he starting to run? Because it's not like they're talking to him. Because he's an idiot. Indeed. And he pays the ultimate price for that. But Mace runs after him and you can see the glimmer in her eyes when she's like, ooh, we have a runner. And she just runs away in her super short, super loose dress, boings the guys into the nuts as she's passing them by just, you know, because they try to stop her. It's just brilliant. The runner gets out and he is hit by, I think, two cars or something. So it completely escalates and this cannot be healthy is my note on this and of course he did oh he did so now this is a crime scene and so now Ella shows up and because now this is part of the lore that she has a thing for bad boys yeah Ella is very much into Dirty Doug and as much as I'm annoyed with the whole pseudo boyfriend issue I'm also into Dirty Doug I was gonna say so I'm with Ella in this one case still not a friend of the plot line well I am a friend of Maze behaving the way she behaves in that scene because that's brilliant and she looks hot as fuck so you know she's brilliant and also she's not wrong <sighs> she definitely is not I mean seriously take joy where you can find it girl and because we just had someone die who obviously was a very bad person they went to hell and for some reason I cannot understand. The demons bring that newcomer straight to Lucifer. Why? Because Lucifer as it gets double proven later on, he has the demons on the lookout if somebody in some way connected to Chloe shows up in hell. So I think that 
that he is missing her so badly that he has them on a lookout for anybody who has interacted with her. But the dead dude didn't know that that was Chloe. But the dead dude is connected to the other dead dude called Lee that Lucifer is currently spending time with and he is spending a lot of time with him according to the timeline that is down under and done up over. I don't know how you say that. What's the opposite of down under? Up above. Up above. No, it made zero sense to me that the demons were like, hey, this is one person you should talk to because the dude had no idea. So why would the demons? I would assume that this is in regard to the fact that Lucifer is now officially trying to solve Lee's murder and this dude was Lee's murderer. Mm. Again, I say unsatisfied. (laughs) Which is fair enough, but like this is the only explanation I I could gather. So we send a demon up into the dead man's body because apparently while possession is still forbidden, it is an exception when Lucifer says, hey, I got a message delivered to Chloe. He forbade it. He can lift the forbiddenness. He can lift the ban. So this is a classic. He's more equal than others. Bad leadership style. If he needs a possession done, it's okay. If anyone else wants a possession, that's not okay. Well, the thing is that he's not really their boss. He's their king. So... So they just have to do whatever the fuck he wants. I know, it's still bad leadership. Lead by example, not by force. Mm, I know where you're coming from, but I don't think that applies to the situation. I don't care. I know I'm right. But the scene where he actually comes back is absolutely hilarious. I love that after he delivers the message, his last words are, oh, is that Mazakin? And he drops dead. It's so fucking funny. And the actor handles it so well. The acting in the possession scene is one of my favorite bits of this episode because everything, the makeup, the body language, the phrasing, everything is so great. Also, Chloe's reactions to this because she knows that possession is a thing and everything. So this was grand. This was fucking amazing. And of course, the message that we get makes zero sense. It's super cryptic. It's super weird. But I'm sure Chloe will decipher it. <laughs> I remembered after it was said. So I was like, yep. But I do remember watching this the first time. I was like, what? That's going to be some sort of a wordplay. But either way, Lucifer catches on that Lee is indeed playing for time. And Lee is acting very smart in this episode. To be honest, the smartest we have seen this man. And he gives us our title drop with the really sad devil guy. I have written down what are you doing Lee? Get back on your feet and then instantly hated myself for making myself talk about Hamilton again and again and again. And of course with the title drop Lucifer starts getting real defensive and he decides Okay, enough with the nice approach. You are gonna get the full-on treatment. We are going to your fucking roots why you even are in hell. And I was very much like, ooh, are we gonna get a proper this is my guilt showing? And I was really, really hype. Spoiler, I was very disappointed. They take a trip through the mind land rather than the actual land. Later on. First we have to do Linda's Enterprise. Yes. Now we need to deal with the fact that Linda is watching Trixie for a bit and she has a conversation with Dan. Dan brings her some books back. Then they mention that they are self-help books. 
books. I'm so angry with the books because Linda should not be giving out self-help books. I mean, they don't seem like traditional self-help books, I don't think, but who's to say? Also, in my opinion, there is no such thing as a good self-help book because I have a very low opinion on those, especially when just reading them and not talking to a professional. When you have actual horrible problems like survivor skills and a lot of uh, and depression and anger issues and I don't know what other issues Dan might uh, identify while he works on himself. So I'm very much against the fact that Linda is handing out these books to Dan without telling or without helping him go to therapy. Maybe not even with herself but with a colleague of her or something. Because if you read these books and you go to therapy and you have someone to evaluate these things that you read and the conclusions that you come to, then it's really, really, really great. But when you just are your very own echo chamber for these things, then it's really, really bad. And I feel like Linda should be aware that just giving Dan these books is gonna just send him into another spiral. A different type of spiral, but still a spiral because this is how Dan seems to operate. And this is what I don't like. I know that Linda is focused on her baby and I know that she is not responsible for everyone around her, but this seems uncharacteristically careless of her, you know? So sorry for all the complaining, but this really made me angry. But I don't only have complaints. I also have things I really, really love about this scene. Is it Trixie? No. Damn it. Did you remember last season, I was so angry that nobody came to Dan for parenting advice? Yes, I remember that. Finally, we have this moment where Dan is giving out really good parenting advice because what he's saying is really 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 good and this made me so happy especially since at the end of the episode this is what they do and mm, my boy Dan handing out the good advice somehow this I don't know it just felt somehow a little weird watching them both wrapped up in their own issues and giving each other really good advice like you know maybe you should focus on what you learned out of the books before you throw yourself into reading more and then on the other side then you want to be in the moment are you enjoying being a parent and in the same breath going into this frantic I need more books, I need more books, give me more books, slash Linda. Oh my god, no, cancel swimming lessons immediately. Thank you so much for, you know, it was just so weird watching these two extremes happening. Because no one is listening to each other. Exactly. We've had this happening for a while now, but it feels really heightened in this episode to me. So basically, communication is key. What? Communication is key. Another idiom that is very important. Oh, oh sorry, I wasn't listening. What did you say? <laughs> Love you too, girl. And then I have a question because I don't know anything about babies. Do babies really not love? Assume that I do. But no, as far as I know, it takes a little bit for them to show that emotion. Show any emotion at all. Wow. That is terrifying on a certain level, you know? It's the same thing. It's like first steps, first time they laughed, you know, first time they recognize you. You know, this is all the first that the parents are always talking about. Yeah, that's terrifying. So I was very much uh, confused that babies don't know how to love right away. And of course, it is Trixie who makes Charlie laugh for the very first time. So Trixie also had a good moment there. They're practically related because technically a minideal made Trixie's mom happen and now he made Charlie happen. No, no. No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> you would also not be related to the doctor who does the insemination. <laughs> because that's basically what Amenadiel did. We move over into the precinct 
And we have a song. <laughs> we, as we're moving to the precinct, we get a one YouTube only song from Mr. Irrelevant. That is the name of the actual artist called Meet Me in the Middle. Wow. We learn in this scene two things and I'm confused by both. Is that one of those things that Ella is giving great nicknames to the victims? No, I missed that. Squashed possum. She calls him a squashed possum. She gives him a nickname at the crime scene already, but I don't remember what it was. I completely missed that. I have to confess. I'm sorry. In that case, you go. 20k doesn't sound all that much for a professional hit. That sounds surprisingly cheap. To commit murder? I would say this is a price that would go for somebody who would be a gangster and not afraid to murder. I wouldn't really say that would be a price for a professional assassin. Still, it struck me as very, very cheap. Lee is dead, so... Obviously it worked. Yes, but it wasn't exactly conspicuous. No, but the end result worked, so job done. Okay, well, yeah, we have the murder for hire thing revealed and Mace gets a little jealous and upset about Chloe not telling her immediately. She gets snippy, I call it. It's so cute. And then, of course, because... Ella is the best at her job and everybody else's job. She realizes that she has seen you store it somewhere and she finds the storage unit. The credit card statements and the storage unit, yes. So then she leaves the room and then we have this beautiful little segment of Mace and Chloe being like, yeah, but you know, there wasn't really time to tell you. And Mace being like, oh, but you should have told me. Why didn't you tell me? And getting really preoccupied by the fact that Chloe has held this back from her. And it's just adorable. Absolutely. We go into hell and we have origin time for Lee. This is finally a place I would imagine for him to be part of his hell loop. Exactly. We start getting the origin time, but we get more details on this in the next time we return to hell. So I don't really have anything to say in this moment because I'm going to save it all for the next time. Except for the fact that this is exactly how I imagine a hell loop. This is it for the scene for me. We go to the you store it and it was very nice. They're walking up to the storage unit and whoa, there's someone there. And it's the sister. You know, she should have known better than a jump on a demon. <laughs> I thought the sister killed Lee in this moment. I thought that she was the one who hired the hitman to get back on her brother for wrongdoings and whatever in the past. I was pretty sure that Meg is dirty. I mean, I was obviously wrong, but I was pretty sure because it felt so weird that she's there and everything. And I was very sure of it. It was a very good misdirection from the writers. I didn't think it this time but I did think so when I watched it the first time I remember specifically thinking to myself why would you leave her there by herself collecting these things like wh why would she do that extremely paranoid so I really have to say as many nagging things that I have about this episode they did get me several times so it is a really well done episode but I mean if you people have been listening to us <laughs> over 70 episodes from now then you are aware that we love to nitpick and to complain about certain things. I'm gonna give you the entire next scene because I don't want to be complaining and I've already praised Amazing Dan parenting so this is yours. I don't have that much on the next scene. We started off in Lux with a song called Higher by Behavior which also was one of the songs that I have briefly considered for Devils in the Music. Behavior as in B-E-E -E as the animal? As in 
in B-H-A-V-I-O-R. So there's no E. It's like a B. Anyway, this is a scene where Aminadil is talking to Kyle, the drug dealer, and he somehow have managed to convince Dan that action needs to be taken. And this is this really good moment for D.B. Woodside in this scene, where, to me, every single thing that Aminadil does is this walking the fine line between he is being so fucking obvious about doing this thing, while simultaneously having moments of being really really scary and it's just this fine line that he's walking and it's just acting wise brilliantly done because if I were Kyle in that situation I'd be like there's something off but there's nothing I can do about it because it's not off enough for me to call it out you know it would confuse the hell out of me so very very good on DB's side. Very good acting. And then uh, he says something that is very Aminadil when Kyle hands him the little sachet and he says, looks like good drugs. And it's like the most Aminadil thing he could have ever said. But clearly that was the signal because this is the moment where Dan shows up with a gun and the officers. Wait, wait, do you mean that in advance Dan and Aminadil decided that this looks like good drugs it's gonna be the keyword yep oh my god there's such dorks because it's something that would not come up in a situation unless he wanted it to come up in a situation and it would have been easy to say but you know obviously we find out that Kyle is not actually a drug dealer he has this other backstory and it's really funny of course, it makes absolute sense for a menadial hyperfixating on this person and on this helping the world reading the bad people. And we have a little father-to-father chat just after it's this. It's so good. It's beautiful. And it's something that we've been saying since last season that a menadial really needs to talk to Dan about being a father because he is a father. And, and he's a good father. Yeah, exactly. Like, whatever mistakes Daniel has done whatever shitty things he has done and how he behaved towards everybody he has always been a good father to Trixie when he was there and especially because the dynamic between Dan and Ames is the way it is it just was so natural and brilliant that they had this conversation also overdue of course I only want to add that not just is Dan finally getting his chance to help with fatherly advice he also proves that he's a really good friend because he apparently believes enough in Ames to actually prepare the entire sting and he stays with him afterwards and he really listens to him and he really gives him good advice so Dan is back to his best form in my opinion and while he's still struggling he acknowledges that he's still struggling which already is very impressive and I'm just very much in love with the character development that they are doing with Dan because as much as I hate the whole essential oil and self-help book shit. It feels fitting to Dan to latch on to something like this because he needs something to focus on. And I'm pretty sure he has not gone back to improv and he needs something. It probably would have been healthier if he had just gone back to improv. But for whatever reason, now it's motivational quotes. Okay, so be it. I think that he 
he doesn't want to move backwards. Yeah, which also is understandable. And even though he is very much into the motivational quotes, at the end of the scene, he says something that is not a fucking quote, but very, very heartfelt because he says to Amanadiel, you want to keep Charlie safe? Just be there for him. And I feel like this is, it's so basic, but also so true parenting advice. Just be there. Not just parenting advice. This is in general something you can't keep somebody safe by running around trying to fix the issue elsewhere. If you want to really be there for somebody, you really need to be there, quite literally. And that is way too close to a motivational saying, so I'm against it. Because if you want to be there for someone, you need to be there, is the paralleling again. I'm sorry. It's too close. Too close for comfort. It's a slippery slope. But it's not really there. What comes around goes around. Exactly. See? And this is how it starts. And then we're gonna go worse and worse and worse. That's how it starts. Sorry, great song. It's absolutely fine because singing is not a motivational quote. So singing is better than that. But that is all I have for this scene. Yeah, same. So we get to run back to hell to see a little bit more of Lee's emotional struggle hand in hand with Lucifer's emotional struggle. Because who are we kidding? This is Lucifer 101. This is Lucifer projecting his issues on somebody who has very much the same issues. And I'm very thankful that in the next hell loop scene, they literally call it out. But in this hell loop scene, my main issue is everything that gets described here is not guilt. It's regret. And regret and guilt are two very different things. I think that in this situation, it goes hand in hand. Because even though you have, obviously, the component of him regretting not going in because then his parents died soon after, he feels guilty for not being there for his sister throughout those 15 years when his parents passed away. So I think the guilt is coming rather from that than the fact that he regrets not going in. It feels like it's connected in that sense. And I don't feel that it's made explicit. Okay. We go back to the you store it and I was full on conspiracy theory that Meg is a baddie now but this does not get resolved. Instead Chloe takes Mace outside to have a talk. Well before she does that I would like to just mention because I did remember that Meg is not the killer. I was focusing more on uh, her behavior and the way she talks about Lee at this moment and the way she is talking about their relationship earlier and then seeing that she hasn't talked to him in 15 years and he has this guilt and regret and everything towards that one moment. Watching her now is really, it just feels so true. You know, we can never completely write off our family or somebody we love. It's amazing the ability that humans have to look past the bad and wrongdoings if we love somebody, especially if that somebody makes an effort. So if he would have walked through the door as she was expecting him to, she would have given him a chance regardless of the wrongship that happened between them if he would have tried. Because as humans, inherently, we want to see the good in people, especially if we want to. I'm gonna put it that way. Why your description is very beautiful and in occasion true. In general, people suck. Yes, they do. I'm not with you on the positive reading on the scene. Fair enough. 
But now we can go outside the storage unit and follow the conversation between Chloe and Mace. Chloe asks Mace to step outside for a word and she's basically breaking up with her. There's a lot of breakups lately. Which was very, very painful, but also in retrospect, when this happens and you consider all their interactions with each other during the episode, they were in a platonic relationship, basically, with the finishing each other's sentences, understanding without fully verbalizing, spending all the time together. Do we have it confirmed that it was platonic? Since Chloe is this taken aback when Mace is kissing her, I'm pretty sure. Okay, fine. And Mace, of course, again, after the events in the last season, does not handle this very well because as reasonable as this is by Chloe and actually as healthy as this is by Chloe, to her, this is another rejection. So she goes through several stages. First, she's trying to convince Chloe that they don't need anyone else. Then she's hitting on Chloe. Then she's kissing Chloe. And she is just so desperate to have this connection that Linda mentioned that she seems to be looking for last season. And she doesn't find someone else to have this connection with. And honestly, in my opinion, she needs to find a connection with herself first to be able to fully connect with someone else. Basically the whole, if you don't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? And this is bad for Mace. And I worry for her. I worry that she's going to take this very, very badly. But also in the past, when I've worried for her, she surprised me. So hopefully my worrying for Mace is wrong. (laughs) I didn't look at it that way. For me, this was a quite obvious escalation of the situation. Chloe had to do this for herself because this was the healthy, as you said, this was the healthy thing to do. She needed to get herself out of the constant loop of deflection and she decides to do that she is mature enough to realize this after what Meg just said to her she's in tune with herself enough as opposed to Mace I was thinking to myself well she didn't have to cut her off completely but that being said she's either in or out there is nothing in between so there was really nothing Chloe could have done in this situation so I really really hope that Mace will find a way out of this in a certain way because this will probably send her through another spiral as we see at the very end. The thing is, I've said so many times in season four, oh, this is gonna send Mason to a spiral and it didn't happen that I'm now very, very cautious with my spiral prediction for Maze. Also, for the, rec- for the record, I have to say, when there is a void, it's not the worst idea to find someone else to fill the void. So I'm actually with Maze in a certain level. Yes, but as long as you are filling the void by somebody else you're not dealing with the fact the void is there therefore it will never go away (laughs) you can do both you can basically take a break from the void while finding comfort in someone else to recharge and then deal with the void and make it smaller which is in my opinion the healthiest approach which is what chloe is doing no chloe just wants to deal with the void she doesn't want to take breaks she's going to go full-on deal she filled the void for two months and now she feels confident that she can deal with it and she realize that she has to do it eventually. I mean, an off and on approach. Yeah. Like, fill, deal, fill. Depends on the size of the void. That's what she said. How many times can we say fill the void? We go back into the hell loop and once again, writing fucking kills it because every time Lee says the word hell, usually is a good line because this is the scene where he finally goes, whose hell is this anyway? And maybe that's the answer to your question that this is not really his hell loop. That is something to consider. I don't love that idea, but sure. 
before he calls Lucifer out like that, Lucy really leans into him. And this is the moment when I was wondering so much for him not getting personally involved in the torture. Oh, oh my god, that hurts my heart. Same. But you're right. He is laying it thick on Lee. And it's not pleasant. He's lashing out because he's hurting. Of course, this is mainly because he is projecting and he is sorting his own stuff there. Obviously, he's talking about fear and he's talking about, you know, facing our struggles and stuff like that. And this, he is clearly talking about himself and Lee picks up on that. But he is genuinely trying to torture him, I think, to deflect the attention from himself. I think he's trying to deflect and inadvertently tortures him. But you're absolutely right. I didn't clock this. Now I'm sad. Yes. And then he says, I have a quote, excuses. They're like assholes. Everybody's got one, but no one wants to hear it. Which I have heard before, and I actually really like that, because it's just right. Excuses and opinions, you know? Mm-hmm. Anything else for the hell loop? No. We can head back to Chloe, who just sends Mace away, and now is driving Meg to her house, and as they are entering the house, somebody gives them a hand! That is so fucking hilarious that the hand is just lying there on the counter. It makes absolute sense, but there is so much happening in this scene. So they walk into this house, but they see the hand, this thug comes out of nowhere, and starts interrogating them about the money. Obviously, Meg immediately realizes what happened with the money. And she also recognizes the dude. Of course. So now dude either has to kill them or has to kill them. He doesn't really have a choice because he's been made. So he is looking for the money and it's just, you know, the fact that he doesn't take a no for an answer, not great. Yes, people, men, listen. Take a no for an answer. No means fucking no. And Chloe does this super smart thing where she takes out her gun. And I remember when I first watched this, I was slightly confused as what happened because I know that she put her own gun on the counter and I didn't catch that on the first watch. But now I immediately realize that she is going for Lee's gun that is in one of the bags. So good. So quick on her feet. And she manages to murder the guy on the spot. Shooting through the bag was so fucking amazing. It's always a great thing. They do it quite often on uh, television, but it's just always so good. Uh, and then, of course, all hell breaks loose. But before we learn more, we go back into hell. And now Lucifer is not torturing Lee anymore. Now he's torturing himself. Indubitably. Now I'm going to confess something. Do it. Lee has grown on me. <gasps> Because Lee is really, really good. Especially in this scene, but in the entirety of the episode. And the way he is playing Lucifer, he's making Lucifer more aware, and he's handling this entire situation was really, really smart and well done. So I am not annoyed with him anymore, and I could live with him returning in a season six. (laughs) I think what I like about Lee in this moment is he is you know doing this for himself of course but it's not just this I'm being smart and you know getting Lucifer engaged in his own shit it's also it feels like he sees a problem and he calls it out and he is not afraid of consequences because it can't get any worse than it already is yeah he's already in hell exactly he has nothing else to lose so it's good that Lucifer has somebody around him who is straight with him because this is good for him he 
needs somebody like that. But he completely flows off the handle. He gets really agitated here. He's not handling this well. But before it can escalate anymore, yet another newcomer to hell is brought before the Lord of Hell. Lord Lucifer, here, we have another one. This one actually isn't connected to Chloe either. So I, when I was watching this and I was making my notes, I was assuming that all these people are brought to Lucifer because they are in some sort of a connection to Chloe. And I was like, oh yeah, this actually, you know, makes sense. It's quite sweet that Lucifer is trying to keep an eye on her. However, none of these people know who Chloe is. But at least this dude got shot by Chloe. I mean, there's at least some mystical connection because she's the one who killed him. So with this one, I have less trouble to suspend my disbelief because that somehow hell would know who your murderer is on a metaphysical level. Yeah, maybe. But then again, they wouldn't have to investigate Lee's murder if they knew that, you know. Metaphysical, not logical. I think it makes more sense that he announced to everybody he is trying to solve this case. So everybody who is in some way connected to Lee has to be brought to him immediately. So we get this insinuation that the dead guy who Chloe just killed is brought to Lucifer. So Lucifer now knows that she is in danger. Yeah. But before we learn more, we have to go upstairs again. And all of my notes are in caps in this scene. So my notes are shootout, such a great entrance, headshot by Chloe, finally breaking the gun with both hands and a kiss. Skeptical Chloe, skeptical. And that is the entirety of the scene. Wait, I have an IMDb fact. Ooh, tell us. Because when Lucifer enters, he's whistling. Yes, that was actually my note because he is whistling Crime Solving Devil. Yes. In which episode did he sing the song? He has first played it on the bass. I don't remember which episode it was, but he is sitting. I can see it in front of my eyes. He's sitting in Ella's lap. Which episode? Candy Morningstar. Candy. Oh, yes. It makes so much sense. So he writes this song, but it's actually the melody that we get every single time we get a title card. We have mentioned this on the podcast before. Because I didn't catch it that it's the same tune. And I am fairly confident that Lucifer has whistled this before. I am slightly hyper-focused on that since we had this debate when this tune first appeared. You mean when I completely failed to recognize the same tune? You not only failed to recognize the tune, you failed to recognize that it's an actual song that is the theme song of this show. I have no idea what you're talking about. Lies. Dirty, dirty lies. Sure, sure, sure. Not like it's on record or anything. Exactly. So supposedly Lucifer shows up, he is whistling this song and the camera on the scene is incredible. It just kind of goes through everywhere. You have the break in the weapon, Chloe's face when she hears it because she instantly recognizes the song. So she knows he's there. It's just so good. And this is kind of like bubbling up. And about the moment where they walk up together and she says, you seem different. We have the last song of the episode starting to play called Happy Together in version by King Princess and Mark Ronson, which is also the star of My Devils in the Music this week. So if you want to learn about this song, you need to go to the bonus. But he says something that Lucifer says at the very beginning of this episode. He says, for you, it's only been two months, but for me it's been thousands of years and the way he says it it's off 
because we've heard this phrase from Lucifer, this seems fake. And I remember I was thinking this when I was watching the first time as well. It just felt off because she's like, you seem different. And the way he says it is also different. So I've been praising the acting in this episode quite a lot, but props to Tom Ellis because it is not easy to make something sound so similar and yet so different. Absolutely. Ugh. And then we go into a montage because who doesn't like a good montage? I'm honestly really, really, really happy that this first episode ends with a montage to start us off into the season. Yes, because then we have them all lined up. We get to see happy parents. We get to see... Ella and Dirty Dog! Ella acting on her passions towards bad boys. Let's put it that way. We have Dan still struggling, but soldiering on. Yeah, you get the clear change in his face during this montage where he is on. And then the second he's alone, he turns off and his face just goes down. He's also trying to fill the void. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like all of them do. And then we get Mace. Oh my god, that broke my fucking heart. Mace seems to be back in the penthouse for the first time since Lucifer left. It's not a confirmed information, but this is the feel that I got. And she is walking around and she comes up to the piano and then she fucking destroys it. Which I forgot happens. That poor piano. And that poor Mace. Doesn't deserve it. No, seriously, everything else was either sweet or bittersweet. And Mace part in the montage was really, really bad. After Mace, Chloe and Lucifer, we see them hugging, which is always here for a hug. Chloe goes for a hug, yes. And we see her face and she is so relieved that he's back. And then we get a cut. And then we go down. Back to hell. <laughs> and Lucifer is still in hell. So who the fuck is this other dude up there who looks like him? It's like, oh no, she was right. And Lucifer's like, I have absolute trust in the detective. Yes, he has absolute confidence in her. And this honestly makes it even worse. And I'm just like, no. And then we cut back upstairs. And then you see the smirk. The creepy, creepy, creepy look into the camera. I call it evil smirk. You know, like an evil smurf? Just... <clears throat> and seriously, fuck you, Tom Ellis. Sometimes you're way too creepy. No, but we have evil smirk by not Lucifer, as I call him. Like, not exclamation mark Lucifer. And then it ends. And this is once again like, what? This is the end. This is the end. <laughs> so, yeah, I was very glad that we binged these the first time around. So, oh my god. Uh, no. Oh my Lucifer, what a fucking pilot. <laughs> this episode took me on a ride. Having Lee in there did not get me on a great start and several parts like Ella now having boyfriend issues and Dan being into essential oils did great on me quite a bit as I have made abundantly clear during this coverage. Other parts like Linda's hyper parenting and Ames side plot were utterly irrelevant to me. But nonetheless, this episode managed to turn it all around to give me some absolutely brilliant moments. I mean, let's be honest, pretty much all the Dan moments with him being a great friend and a person and parent. And even managed to get me to like fucking Mr. Set Out Bitch. And that fucking entrance by not Lucifer, the montage, the reveal that it's not Lucifer and that smirk. This is perfection and this is made for binging. So honestly, I'm quite glad that we're recording two episodes this week. Because damn. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Grabby hands. Yeah, kind of same, gotta say. We have talked about the issues of this episode a number of times. It's the timing. It's the guilt thing. What's the hell loop? Why is it so and so? 
Ella is the big issue that we've had as well. So we don't need to go into any more details on that. What I absolutely loved is the acting in this episode. Again, multiple times pointed out. What I absolutely adored was the parallel that they went with. The directing was incredible. The camera work, amazing. There was just so much beautiful things in this episode. Not just visually, but writing-wise as well. Would I rather see things a little bit more tied together? Yes. Would I lose the concept of this episode over it? No. (laughs) Very well worded. So that says it all. It's an amazing season opener and I could not be more excited about the rest of season five. And with this, we say thank you for listening. Please find us on our various social media. We love interacting with you either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards, such as early release, merch, and hours of bonus content. Yes, hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really help. Or telling all your friends about us, because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank Thank you! you. Bye. Bye!